This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 17 of Psych for Life with Dr Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr Amanda Ferguson. In today's episode, I'll be discussing overcoming sleep problems, finding your pathway to sleep and a better night's rest. Sleep is nature's miraculous healing process and it can also be a wonderland of peace and tranquility if we practice consciously taking our minds into a safe and happy place to sleep. As a health practitioner, I've helped people in my clinic with sleep problems for 30 years and I've noticed a sharp increase in these problems since the pandemic. Anyone can develop sleep problems at any age, yet most of us can improve our sleep patterns and quality quite easily and gain better health, happiness, relationships and productivity. Later in this podcast, I'll show you how to develop your own pathway into sleep. Research shows sleep is as important to us as diet and exercise. We might eat well and exercise regularly, but if we don't get at least seven hours of sleep at night, we can be undermining these other good habits. While this isn't commonly discussed and might even sound dramatic, sleep disorder experts are adamant that sleep is crucial to our health and that many of us aren't paying enough attention to our sleep. But what's the science behind sleep? The mind and brain are two very different yet associated things. The brain is a physical thing, whereas the mind is a mental thing. The brain is made up of nerve cells and can be touched and seen, whereas the mind can neither be touched nor seen. Scientists used to argue that the mind was a product of activity of our brains, but growing evidence is showing that the mind isn't confined to our brains, nor even to our bodies. The mind is one of the great mysteries of life. The conscious part of our mind is now considered to make up only 5% and be the more superficial part with a limited processing capacity. Whereas the subconscious is the bulk of our mind with an infinite processing capacity and operating 24-7 even while we sleep. During a good night's sleep we go through 4-5 to 90 minute cycles experiencing different phases of sleep. In general we move sequentially through the following phases. Wake, light sleep, deep sleep, and REM or rapid eye movement sleep. Again, ideally this occurs four or five times a night. Each phase helps us in different ways and prepares us for the next day. The waking stage is considered to occur as we prepare for sleep, then as we wake after sleep, and it's also a natural break in the sleep patterns, where we actually wake several times at night. In the light sleep stage, our muscles relax, our breathing and heart rate slow, and our body temperature drops. This light sleep stage leads us into the deep sleep stage, where our blood pressure drops, muscle growth and repair increases due to the release of growth hormones that increase blood flow to our muscles. Our tissues grow and cells repair. The brain waves slow right down to long, slow waves and waste is flushed out of the brain. During REM sleep, our respiration and heart rates increase, temperature regulation is reduced and our body temperature drops to its lowest, which is why you might feel very cold at 3 o'clock in the morning. In REM sleep, we may have vivid dreams and our bodies become immobile to stop us from acting on our dreams. This stage helps our memory, learning and problem solving. So how do we actually fall asleep? There are two hemispheres in the brain, the left and the right. The left is analytic and it's where we operate when we need to be logical and rational. The right hemisphere is the lateral and the creative. This is where our imagination comes from 
And it's through this right hemisphere that we enter the world of sleep, not the left. Imagine trying to prepare a child for sleep by asking them to do maths, which uses their left hemisphere. Of course, it wouldn't induce sleep. Instead, we tell stories that are ideally not too stimulating about imaginary worlds that we hope our child will continue to explore happily in sweet dreams. We adults are the same. It's the happy, magical, soothing things we think about that take us most quickly into the world of sleep and for the best quality of sleep. Indeed, countless times people have told me that my recorded meditations published back in 2003 put them to sleep, which was not my intended purpose. And at first I found this very frustrating and disappointing, but I soon gave in. And now, of course, I give these meditations to people with sleep problems simply because it works. If our mind is undisciplined during the day, it's almost impossible to take control of it at night for sleep. Calming the mind by meditating or doing relaxation practices during the day helps us to be able to focus during the rest of our day and calm the mind for sleep at night. Indeed, when the body and brain go to sleep in the stages mentioned before, the subconscious mind never goes to sleep. And if we don't have control over it, it can actually become more erratic due to stress and anxiety, causing stressful dreams, nightmares and broken or light sleep. This is why we can often wake feeling more exhausted than when we went to sleep. How often have you found yourself asleep but aware that you're also trying to work through a problem or a situation mentally? Being able to calm and focus our minds is crucial for good sleep and for productive days. A recent study at Harvard found we spend an average of 47% of our waking hours thinking about something other than what we're doing. We're either regretting the past, worrying about the future, or thinking of should-haves and what-ifs. The study found that allowing our brain to wander like this can make us unhappy. It also makes good quality sleep difficult. Recently, the world has become a place full of stressful situations that can make it harder to calm and focus our minds. Consequently, we need to be more conscious than ever before of managing our mental health and sleep. The pandemic and lockdowns are causing an escalation of sleep disorders, misuse of medications and substance abuse. Sleep neurologists have coined the term COVID somnia. Sleep expert Carmel Harrington says the rates of sleep problems have doubled since the pandemic. Now, one in two people are experiencing sleep problems. The era of uncertainty we've entered is causing an increase in mental health problems. This was already occurring in certain communities due to environmental disasters such as drought, fires, floods and due to economic downturns, political and racial unrest. Many people were also becoming unwell mentally across the planet due to fears about global warming, while others denied it or tried not to think about it. And when the global pandemic hit us all in 2020, every person on the planet is now at risk of mental illness and, hence, sleep disorders. So what are the common causes of sleep deprivation? Bad attitudes and habits are very common, particularly during lockdowns and work from home like regarding bed or the bedroom as a workplace, going to bed too late and screens in the bed or bedroom. A good night's sleep means different things to different people. Some people only need five hours of sleep, others need ten. It's also normal for our sleep needs to vary at times and to change as we get older. But sleep difficulties that leave us feeling constantly tired can be due to more serious problems like insomnia. 
Ongoing sleep problems can affect our physical and mental health, our relationships, our quality of life, and so addressing sleep problems is really important. According to the Australian Psychological Society, the key symptoms of insomnia are difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep or waking too early despite having the opportunity to sleep well. For insomnia to be diagnosed, sleep difficulties must have been present for more than one month. Insomnia can be extremely distressing and debilitating. I know because I suffered from it badly until I was age 30. The longest recorded time someone has stayed awake is 11 nights. My longest was five nights. I remember my grandmother in her tough love stance sternly telling me, no one ever died from a lack of sleep. Well, it turns out that although dying from sleep deprivation is extremely rare, it can happen. The Australian Psychological Society says insomnia disorder is characterised by dissatisfaction with the quality or quantity of sleep, which leads to significant impairments in functioning. People commonly complain about trouble getting to sleep, staying asleep or unrefreshing sleep. The seriousness of insomnia is increasingly being recognised by clinicians due to the significant consequences of sleep disturbance and also its high level of comorbidity with many medical and psychiatric disorders. Common symptoms of insomnia include fatigue, tiredness or lack of energy the next day, problems with attention, concentration or memory, difficulties performing social, work or caregiving responsibilities, making avoidable errors or having accidents at work or while driving, low mood or feeling irritable tension headaches or digestive problems, daytime sleepiness or feeling tired and wired during the day but not necessarily sleepy, worrying about sleep or about functioning the next day. After only three or four nights without sleep, we can start to hallucinate Prolonged sleep deprivation can lead to cognitive impairments, irritability, delusions, paranoia and even psychosis. Some of the most serious potential problems associated with chronic sleep deprivation are high blood pressure, diabetes, heart attack, heart failure or stroke. Other potential problems include obesity, depression, impairment in immunity and lower sex drive. Chronic sleep deprivation can even affect our appearance. So what are the causes of insomnia? Well, many things cause insomnia, such as stress and worry, significant life events, changes in shift work or changes to our routines, changes in our home lives. For most of us, once a period of stress or change has passed and life has settled down, sleep returns to normal. For others of us, however, sleep problems can continue. We know that several health and lifestyle factors can also affect our sleep, including caffeine, cigarette smoking, alcohol use, some medications and some drugs. Environmental factors like noise, light, too warm or too cold a bedroom. Other health concerns like asthma, bronchitis and chronic pain. Other sleep-related disorders that might cause us to feel restless, such as restless leg syndrome, or which might affect our breathing while we're asleep, such as sleep apnea. Mental health issues, particularly anxiety and depression. Insomnia often leaves the person feeling frustrated, stressed and worried about their sleep problems, which can make it even harder for them to sleep, and a sleep-worry cycle may then start. 
We don't need to meet all the criteria for a diagnosis of insomnia to experience the following from time to time. Anxiety and night terrors, which cause us to wake early or often and cause shallow sleep. Early morning waking, say at 2 or 3am, is a classic sign of anxiety. If we wake then, we can remind ourselves it's natural to wake slightly during sleep and do some self-soothing to put ourselves back to sleep or breathing exercises. Addictions are other causes. Substance abuse, for instance, alcohol relaxes us but then stimulates us. Workaholism, gambling, gaming and screened addiction. Work-related stress, people who never sleep well on Sunday nights, for instance, in dread of the week to come. Relationship problems can cause sleep problems. People have told me over the years that they can't sleep after an argument with their partner that's still unresolved. Or they can't sleep due to worry about their children. A waking baby or child can wake us during the night. A partner or ourselves if we snore. I've often used hypnosis successfully in instances when devices or surgery or other treatments aren't possible for snoring or aren't working. Snoring can be reframed and even become soothing to one's partner. Sleep apnea and sleep narcolepsy are causes of sleep problems. Sleep clinics assess these with overnight stays. Environmental disasters such as drought, fires and floods, economic downturns, political and racial unrest, fears about all of these things cause sleep problems. And of course the global pandemic and lockdowns. Sleepwalking and sleep talking are other symptoms of sleep problems. I know about these too personally from my childhood. I never woke during these phases nor remembered doing any of these things, but apparently I did them regularly. And apparently I used to walk down long flights of stairs and back up again to my bedroom and even have conversations with my parents. The rare condition known as sleep-related eating disorder is another sleep problem. As mental health problems increase, this is bound to become more prevalent. It's more common in people who take certain medications and those with mental health problems. It can occur many times at night and can include cooking and eating non-food substances. So it can be really dangerous physically as well as mentally, but it is treatable. So we need to understand the world of the mind and sleep and how to manage these so that we can have more control over both in order to be healthier, happier and more productive. So what can you do for a better night's sleep? Well, attitudes are really important. Set good sleep attitudes. Make sleep as much a priority as diet and exercise. Because remember, a lack of sleep can undermine your efforts in those areas of diet and exercise. Ultimately, bed is for sleep and sex. The more sleep is a problem for you, the more you need to be strict about this. If you can't stop ruminating, bed is not the place for this. Get up and write down your worries. Do some cognitive behavioural therapy. There are some good apps for this. Write a note for yourself for the morning, promising you'll call a friend or a professional about your worries. Compartmentalise or park them there. Avoid worrying about whether you're going to get a good night's sleep or what will happen if you don't. Focus on going to sleep instead. Direct your mind towards sleep. That's your goal. This is the time for sleep. 
If you're sure you aren't sleepy because you feel wired, alert and wide awake, get up and test this. It's probably just adrenaline. I experienced this at several times during my PhD. So I would say to myself, OK, you think you're not tired? Test yourself. Get up and do your statistics. I go to my office in another room, open the complex statistics program for my research project and the sheer effort of trying to remember the process would use all my stress and anxiety and pretty soon my adrenaline would drop and I'd start to feel the underlying tiredness creeping back up as the adrenaline was dropping. I'd go back to bed and sleep would be easy. Change your attitude or perspective about where you sleep. Possibly even change where you sleep. Make your bedroom or sleep place a sanctuary. Declutter as much as possible and make it serene and inviting. We also need healthy habits for sleep. Set healthy sleep hygiene. Block out unwanted light. Block out disruptive noise as much as possible. There are wave or white noise machines you can use. Try to make sure your bedroom and bed are comfortable and a comfortable temperature, not too cold nor too warm. As much as possible, go to bed and wake up at the same times, even if you have trouble sleeping the night before. This may change due to seasons, of course, due to sunlight. Exercise regularly, but avoid exercising immediately before bed. Avoid caffeine and alcohol and other stimulants from early afternoon onwards. Cut down or stop smoking with the help of a professional. Sudden attempts to stop smoking and nicotine replacement patches can affect sleep. Drink most of your water and fluids in the mornings and avoid fluids before bed. Get sunshine each day. Add a wind-down time before bed, up to 30 to 60 minutes, and if sleep's a real problem, probably 60 minutes. Switch off screens, and similar to bedtime reading we do with children, if books are too stimulating, then focus on calming books. When books are too stimulating, children don't sleep well. Little children have often said to me in solemn tones, things like, Daddy really shouldn't read me Harry Potter at bedtime, it's too scary. Include things like a curfew for phones and other screens. A warm or hot shower, herbal tea, soothing music, essential oils, massage, meditation, soothing or escape books and relaxation exercises. Write down things from the day that you haven't been able to sort out so they're out of your mind and ready for you to come back to the next day. Stimulus control is really important for sleep. Avoid having screens, books and other stimulating things in the room. The more of a problem sleep is for you, the more strict this needs to be. If working from home means working in your bed or in your bedroom is unavoidable, make a habit of shutting down these things at sleep time. By getting these things out of the bed, even putting them onto the floor, throwing a shawl, a sarong or a towel over the computer or other screens on your desk. Out of sight can be out of mind. Perform important tasks that require you to focus and concentrate during the day rather than at night before sleep. Be conscious when you set your alarm. Say out loud to yourself that it's correctly set for the right time and for the morning so that if you do wake before then and worry about your alarm, you'll remember that it's set properly and not get up to check it. If you are a light sleeper, put your alarm in another room. 
If you wake during the night, avoid looking at your clock. There are exercises we can do to help ourselves get a better quality of sleep. We can practice relaxation exercises and mindfulness to help calm ourselves before we go to sleep. These exercises help us to rest even if we're not sleeping. Even focusing on our breath in and out and calming it is a helpful technique. If you're having sleep problems, sleep diaries are often recommended by psychologists and they're used to gather information about our daily sleep patterns and even day-to-day patterns. These can then be used in discussions with psychologists to find ways to improve the quality or quantity of sleep. Cognitive behavioural therapy for sleep and for insomnia is one of the most commonly used non-pharmacological treatments for insomnia disorder. So what's your pathway to sleep? These days many of us have to be much more conscious of how we take ourselves into the world of sleep in order to get to sleep and to have a better quality of sleep. And through trial and error and practice, we can find what this is for ourselves. So trial the experiences that you've found to be naturally relaxing, safe and even soporific. It might be an experience that you often have, such as being in a garden or a park or part of nature that you regularly visit. It might be a place you've been to rarely or a long time ago. It might be a hug or a time spent with a loved one. Is it by visualising, feeling, sensing, thinking or hearing this experience that you are able to fall asleep? Is it a warm sunny day on a beach, the warmth of the sand or the feeling of the breeze or the sound of the waves? Is it a bushwalk? Is it remembering a time you slept in a hammock under palm trees or on a boat, being cradled and rocked by the ocean? Experiment until you find your pathway into sleep. Remember, if it's too stimulating, it won't work. Once you find your pathway, you will have it for life. And once we think we've found the pathway, the best pathway to sleep, It may still not easily put us to sleep. We might still need to work this pathway. This means we decide to use the pathway to put ourselves to sleep rather than trying, we are deciding. Trying has a bet both ways. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. It's a trick we play with ourselves and it sets bad habits of ruminating, wrestling and building a belief we can't sleep. Once you've found your pathway to sleep, Decide to use it. Focus your mind purely on that pathway to take yourself to sleep. When it works once, you will know that you can always use it again. It's simply a matter of concentration and deciding to take yourself to sleep. So remember the quality and quantity of our sleep is important and can influence how we feel and perform at work, school, other activities and how we relate to people. If you think you may have a health issue that affects your sleep, seek a medical checkup from a general practitioner. Some people with insomnia benefit from a combination of medication and psychological interventions. 
a referral to a sleep clinic might also be made and a sleep specialist can assess a person's sleep and might arrange for it to be monitored overnight, either at home or in a clinic, to better understand reasons for sleep problems. Psychologists are highly trained and qualified to treat people with sleep problems. Psychologists help people to identify and learn to manage sleep problems and factors that contribute to sleep difficulties. To locate a psychologist in your area, call the Australian Psychological Society and select Find a Psychologist Service on 1800 333 497 or visit www.findapsychologist.org.au. Your GP can also organise a referral to a psychologist experienced in working with sleep problems. Check with your GP as to whether you might be eligible for rebates. Other resources include the Australasian Sleep Association, the peak scientific body in Australia and New Zealand representing clinicians, scientists and researchers in the area of sleep. You can access this organisation on www.sleep.org.au. Also, Sleep Disorders Australia, an organisation that provides information and support to people experiencing sleep disorders. www.sleepoz.org.au To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes. The opinions expressed by guests in these podcasts aren't necessarily shared by me.